we've been going over the last several weeks uh, through the feasts of, uh, of God that he established for his people, the children of Israel, thousands of years ago. And they were appointed feasts that God established for his people. It wasn't holidays that man came up with and said, God, come on and you can join us. It was actually a feast or a holiday or a festival that God established. And he's saying to his people, I want you to come join me. And so that's the idea of what these feasts are all about. So the title of this message today is Jesus and the Feast. And if you're writing and taking notes, put down first fruits. First fruits. That's the third of the seven holidays, holy days, times that God has established throughout every given year. And they did this every year, first fruits. So I want to ask you a question. Isn't it always nice in the springtime? This will give you something to look forward to because all the leaves are falling, which means that things are stopping growing and everything's getting dormant. But in the springtime, when the first strawberries or, or peaches or the different things start popping out, right? And you get these harvest of these fruits that come and you can go to these places like up here in Fort Mill and out here in York where you can go to these places where they have these fruit stands. You can get these delicious, juicy, yummy. Am I making you hungry yet? Am I, oh, isn't it great? These, when these first fruits come in, how many enjoys that, right? Yeah. Whether it's strawberries or peaches, some other fruit. The spring is when everything comes alive and we enjoy the first of what we hope are many more enjoyable times of fruits and vegetables uh, in that year. So the first three feasts God appointed for his people to commemorate were in the springtime. They were observed in the month of Nisan, uh, which by the way, if you're taking notes, that was the month just before Toyota and just after Honda, the month of Nisan. The joke. Uh, <clears throat> Their month of Nisan, like our month of October. So we've studied so far the first two feasts, uh, and Jesus fulfilled them in, in, on those days. So the, the first feast was Passover, and that was on the, on the, in the month of Nisan, the day of 14, so the 14th of Nisan. And that was, Jesus fulfilled that uh, with his death on the cross. If you notice about Passover, you can go back and listen to these. There was a sacrificial lamb who died in the place of those that should have died when the death angel came into the camp. And if there was blood around the doorpost, those that were the firstborn inside the house were spared death. Uh, and so that was the blood of a lamb. We know that Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. He took our place, amen? And by his death, we don't have to die. We don't have to live in that death of sin. But he's taken our place. He took our sins upon himself. He's the perfect sacrificial lamb. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? The second one from last week that we looked at was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, unleavened simply means no yeast. It was flat bread like a cracker, as opposed to what you get at Texas Roadhouse, those nice yeast rolls. Unleavened bread, that was celebrated on Nisan 15 through 21. So the month of Nisan, the days of 15 through 21, if you notice, is the day after Passover. And that signifies burial. If you looked at, if you remember how we looked at that, the whole idea of God's quick and complete deliverance, uh, from slavery and, and really from our life from sin. And it's a reminder also to how we need to walk in the purity of Christ. So I'm not going to review those. This is as far as I'm going to get on that the last two weeks. If you're interested, you can go back to our website. You can go to the Facebook page. You can listen to those messages in its entirety there. But today we're going to look at the third feast, which is first fruits. Now, the first fruits feast represents uh, the resurrection of Jesus. So we have the death and the burial and now the resurrection. And 
the, the resurrection of Jesus, this particular Feast of First Fruits, actually took place on Nisan 16. So the 16th of Nisan. So if you notice, Passover on the 14th, unleavened bread on the 15th, but that lasted a week. And then on the 16th, they also celebrated now first fruits. So let's look at this for just a moment. I'm so, so excited about this series because we think, well, what do the world of feasts have to do with us? Stay with me because I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with us. So first fruits, going back into the original uh, festival or the original feast of what they did, the Jewish people did, it was a celebration and a recognition of the first of the spring harvest of the barley crop. Barley was the first crop that came in. Doesn't sound like it's really exciting. Wheat came in later, but barley was the first one in. And so that was the first crop that they were able to give thanks for. Now, on this morning of Nisan 16, the priest would present their spring harvest of barley grain in a prescribed way to the Lord in the temple as a way of acknowledging that this blessing and provision came from the Lord. They didn't, I want you to keep this in mind. They gave the first fruit. Say this, say this, say this with me. First fruits. They didn't give God the leftovers. They didn't give God the second batch. They didn't give God the damaged stuff, the rejects. They were careful to give God the first and the best of the spring harvest. Now, the priest would take this sheaf of barley and he would wave it before the Lord as a way of giving thanks to God for his provision. It's an act of faith that acknowledged something very important that God would continue to bless them with further harvests. Hear me out this morning. I want you to start listening to this really carefully because it's so important where we're getting ready to go here. <clears throat> they, would, they would acknowledge to God, God, we thank you for this barley harvest. We wave it before you. And we're trusting you that we're going to get more harvests. This isn't just the only batch we're going to get for the year. We're going to get continued harvest. It's going to continue to grow. And here's two words that I want you to write down. It was, a, it was a guarantee, and it was a pledge by God. What they were doing by saying, God, thank you for the barley. We know that you're giving us a pledge as we acknowledge you for the giving of this. It's a pledge to you, by you, and a guarantee by you that we're going to get more. A pledge and a guarantee. So that's, in a nutshell, very quickly, what they did back in the day. It was a simple celebration but a very important celebration and acknowledgement that everything comes from God. And that's what I want to talk about and how it's a very practical significance to what they were going through. Here's the two things that I want you to write down of the practical significance of why they celebrated this feast and why God uh, really commanded them to do so. There's really not an option. It's a command. These are the feasts you will do. The first one is this, and this is so important for us today. God owns and provides everything. I want you to say that with me. It should be up on the screen. If not, say it with me. God owns and provides everything. There's not a thing that God doesn't own. The chair you're sitting in, the clothes that you're wearing, the car that you came in today, the house that you're living in, your abilities, the breath that you're breathing right now, the oxygen. Everything God owns. There's nothing that God does not own. And so we need to, as we look at this, we realize and we start getting the idea of understanding, wait, God owns everything. 
And God provides everything. That breath that you're breathing, God's providing it, isn't he? You're not doing it. Yeah, you're taking the breath, but what if there wasn't any oxygen? We would all choke to death very quickly. God gives us oxygen to breathe. Thank God for oxygen. Amen. And by the way, just as a side, every time you inhale, it's a gift from God, isn't it? So then how about every time we exhale, let's make sure that the breath that we're breathing and the words that we're saying, what we exhale glorifies God. Amen. It's a good thought, isn't it? So that we're not cursing people, that we're not talking ugly, that we're not being whatever, right? That we're not saying curse words and ugly things. Oh, let's let our exhale be words that edify and that encourage that breath that you're breathing as a gift from God. I think that we need to give it back to him as a gift in a way that glorifies and honors him. Amen. And it's nothing to do with the notes, but it's very important for us. If you hear nothing else, then, you know, take that and say, wow, I need to really be careful with how I exhale this week and the things that I say. So let's look at a scripture in First Chronicles chapter 29. King David, at the end of his reign, is right before he was getting ready to pass the baton on to his son Solomon, and after collecting donations from the people, I'm gonna want, I want you to read First Chronicles chapter 29 in its entirety, but I'm giving you a little bit of a backstory. What he did was he's saying, we're going to build a temple. We haven't built it yet because God told me I can't build it, but my son's going to build it, but I'm going to take a collection. So he was going out getting all the supplies and all the goodies and all the stuff he needed. And people were generous. And they were saying, okay, we're going to give gold. We're going to give silver. We're going to give all of our stuff. And so all these people were generously and freely, gladly giving of their proceeds and of their, of their whatever they had to the temple. Here you go. What do you need, David? And so after collecting donations from the people in his kingdom to build this temple... He prayed a beautiful prayer to God. I'm not going to read you the entire prayer, but I'm going to read you an excerpt of it that, 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 that supports what it is that we're looking at today and that God owns everything and provides everything. And this is a beautiful prayer that King David prayed. It's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we're going to start in verse 11. And it should be up on the screen. If not, I hope you have your Bibles with you and you can read it along in, in your Bible. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 Verse 11, it says, and this is a prayer that David prayed to the Lord. He said, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Listen to this. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. There it is. That's number one. How many times does he do this? Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Here's the second time he says it. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. So the thing is, I'm going to stop right here. We think we're giving something to God. We're really not. We're giving him back what it belongs to him anyway. It just goes through us. It comes to us to go through us back to him. So that's the second time. Here we go. Continue on. We're foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope, Lord our God. And here's the third time he says it. All this abundance that we provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I want you to say it with me again. Say, everything belongs to God. And he provides everything for me. 
three times in that simple, in those four, five or six verses, David acknowledges out loud he was praying this prayer to the people that were listening and reminding them all that that you just gave, it belongs to God anyway. You just gave it back to him. It just went through you. It came to you and went through you back to him. Three times David says that everything comes from God's hand. He blesses us, folks, for us to steward well the things that he's placed in our care for his glory. And then it goes back to him. All of our money, all of our talent, all of our possessions, all of our time, everything belongs to God. I want you to think about this because the fact is, is that we're just passing through, amen? The Bible says we're like a shadow, we're like a flower that quickly fades. Our lives are just a blink of an eye, they're just a moment. In the scope of all eternity, we're just a moment in time. But God is eternal. And he's owned everything before we arrived, everything that you have. It belonged to God before you got here. Oh, but I earned it. No, I'm sorry, it's God's. And and, and so he owns it now, by the way. You think, oh, but I got my names on the deed. No, it belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. And not only did he own it before you arrived, not only does he own it now, he's going to own it after we're gone. (laughs) Because he owns everything. God owns it all, and God is our provider. Of all, we need to live a life of blessing and abundance and effectiveness for his kingdom. May we not ever squander that, and may we not ever use it for our own selfish gain. King David realized that very thing. Imagine he came from just a humble shepherd boy, the seventh of seven sons, the youngest, the least, and God exalted him. And he realized that he looked around, what in the world am I doing here? How did this happen? But God exalted him because of his heart. And so David realized it at that moment. I'm not able to build this temple. My son's going to, but I'm going to pray this prayer out loud for as long as I can. And I'm going to remind people as often as I can that everything belongs to God and everything comes from God for me. And that's a great reminder, not only to the people of Israel, but that's a great reminder for us today. So the second thing that, I, that, was, that they were reminded of, very practically speaking, and I'm so thankful for this, that God keeps his promises. Say that with me. Say, God keeps his promises. Some of you might have choked on that just a little bit, might have felt like, like I, don't know. I don't know. I mean, God's not been, I mean, things are not really happening the way I want them to. You know, it's not really happening in the time that I need him to. Does God really keep his promises? The answer is yes. Does God keep his promises? Yes. God keeps his promises. The priest in Deuteronomy chapter 26 quoted this passage every year as he was waving the barley sheath before the Lord. And he was waving it as he was waving this sheath. He he said out loud to all the people uh, this particular prayer found in Deuteronomy chapter 26 starting in verse 5. It says, my father was a wandering Aramean. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord and God, our ancestors and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. 
So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with great signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now we know that that's a synopsis of what happened for, it took hundreds and hundreds of years for it to to be realized. It went from, from, from Israel being uh, held captive in, 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 in Egypt, and they were there for 430 years. And it got worse and worse. And finally God uh, was able to get them released through the plagues and the ten plagues. And finally Pharaoh said, get out of here. And then they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they had to go and conquer these particular areas of the promised land. God didn't just lay it in their lap. They had to go out and do some stuff to, to work for it, you know. Work hard for it. And it was a lot of... A lot of, a lot of a lot of death and a lot of anxiety and a lot of hard work that went on, a lot of war that went on. But ultimately, God blessed the nation of Israel with that land that was flowing with milk and honey. And so this priest was praying kind of in arrears saying, do you remember how faithful God has been? Do you remember that God, how he kept his promises? He said he would do it and he did it. Let's be reminded of that every year as I pray this prayer and I wave this barley sheaf before the Lord that God is faithful to keep His promises in our life. I want to ask you a question this morning. Not necessarily in the current state that you're in, but maybe in the past where you didn't know where your provision was going to come from. You didn't know the next step you were supposed to take. You didn't know the answer to the big question that was in front of you. But God showed up at just the right time and in the right way, and he kept his promises. How many can say amen to that? Because God is faithful to keep his promises in his time and in his way. And we look at this and we say, well, good for them. God brought them out of Egypt, and they worked to get, and God was given favor, and they've made it to the promised land. And now they're looking in the rearview mirror saying, God, you've been faithful. And that's easy for us to do when we said the amens a few moments ago. Yeah, God has been faithful. But what about right now where you are? You're going through a tough time right now. But here's what I want to tell you. I want to remind you of the same God who was faithful then is the same God who is faithful now. And it's the same God who will be faithful in the future because our God does not change. God is faithful. That's not what he does. It's who he is. And so we can be reminded the amen that you gave me a few moments ago. Yeah, God was faithful 10 years ago when he brought me through. I want you to be reminded that what you're going through right now, God is still faithful. God is still going to see you through. God hasn't left you. He's still with you. Because my Bible says that God is not a man, that he would lie. My Bible says that all his promises are yes and amen. All his promises are true. And as we see with God's chosen people, just as he did with them, he will do for us that in his time and in his way, all his promises and all his plans for his people then and for his people now will come true. What has he promised for you today? Well, what if you pass away before that promise comes to fruition? God is still going to bring it to pass, but maybe it's for your children to see. Maybe it's for that next generation to see. It's up to us to be faithful. It's up to us to hang in there. It's up to us to not look to the left or to the right. Because you see, as the children of Israel were reminded every year 
through this prayer that the priest prayed that God had been faithful. You see, they were hopeless slaves in Egypt. Oh, yeah, I remember that. My ancestors, I've heard about that. They were ho- we, my ancestors were hopeless slaves in Egypt. And then he was also reminding them, hey, let's remind us of where we are today. Wait, today we're not slaves. We're free. We're delivered. We're rescued. We're blessed. We're filled with hope. We're secure under the shelter of God's wings and provision and protection. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. But let me just also remind you that we're encouraged that God will be faithful in the future. Because why? It's not just for the children of Israel. It's for us today because the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. He's faithful to you today as he was faithful back then to those of his chosen people. By the way, we're grafted in the vine. So we are his chosen people. His promises are true for you and I today because God keeps his promises. And again, it may not be in the way that you think. It may not even even be in, in, in the timing that you think. But it will work out for your good and for God's glory. If you'll just be patient. Oh, be patient. If you'll just trust in God, that, he's, that, that he always has your best interest at heart. He does. He knows what you're going through. He sees the struggles. He hears the midnight cries. He sees the tears in the middle of the night. He hears what's going on. He's there, right there with you, no matter what. Well, let's just, aren't you thankful for that, by the way? If you are, let me hear you say amen. amen. So, let's look at the prophetic significance of this. There's three things that I want us to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, start with number one. Here we go. And this is where it's going to, I believe, going to start really getting really good for us today. I know it's been good thus far, but buckle your seatbelts because here we go. So remember earlier I said that the barley sheaf was waved before God. It was a pledge or a guarantee that God would bless and provide for the rest of the year. So we can see how God has done that through Jesus. Because if you remember all of these feasts, Jesus has so far fulfilled them on the very day that those feasts took place. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Jesus died on Passover, rose again, uh, was buried on uh, unleavened bread, and rose again on first fruits. Keep that in mind. Because the first thing that we see is a prophetic significance here of why this feast is so important for us today is that Jesus did rise from the dead. Write that down. Say Jesus' resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits. Oh, there's that word, first fruits. See how that shows up in the New Testament? It sneaks in there several times. We're going to see how, and see, when people, as we're reading that, the Jews were reading this, those that were the he, of the Hebrew faith would understand exactly what this meant. See, we kind of let it pass. We think, oh, first fruits. Stop. Let's apply it to what the first fruits feast was all about. And let's look at this again. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. So what they, they understood as, he was, as, he was, as, he was, as they were reading that was, wait a minute. So what you're saying is that when, when, the, when the priest waved the barley sheath before God, that's kind of what Jesus is right now. You see how they're connecting that? I want you to connect that. I don't want you to lose that. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as Adam, in Adam all die, 
So in Christ, all would be made alive, but each in turn. And here's the, here's the, uh, the finale of this. Christ, the first fruits. Oh, there it is again. So Christ is the barley sheath that's being waved. He's the first fruits. And then we, when he comes, those who belong to him. So catch this. Jesus rose again from the dead, didn't he? Would you, would you agree with me today that we serve a risen Savior? He's alive and well today, right? Know this, that he was the first fruits of that. Jesus conquered death. As we learned last week, he had those keys. He conquered hell. And so as much as in Adam, we're all born in Adam. We're going to die. But those of us who have made a decision to accept Christ were born again. And we're born in Christ to new eternal life. Our bodies are going to die, but our spirits are going to live forever in heaven. And there's nothing that Satan can do about it. It's a finished work. And Jesus is simply the first fruits of the guarantee and the promise of what's to come for us. If you're happy and thankful, let me hear you say amen. amen. So as I said, Jesus died on Nisan 14. That was Passover. He, he was buried in the tomb on Nisan 15, which was unleavened bread. And then he rose again to life eternal on Nisan 16. I can't, I can't get away from this. Jesus fulfilled the first three feasts on the exact days of the feasts. And with it, he became our down payment. He became our pledge. He became our guarantee for all of us of resurrection of new life on earth and eternal life in heaven one day. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. Say this with me. Say the old is gone. And the new is here. You see, it's not that one day the new will come in heaven. I got to say that God's word says in this scripture right here that the new is here today. I know that many of us feel like we're trudging through this old, dirty, old, sin-filled earth. And one day I can't wait to get to heaven where it's all perfect. But see, God's plan is that God's kingdom would come to the earth now and today in and through us, that we can be the new for other people that are going through difficult times, that are living in sin, that are making decisions that are not pleasing to the Lord. We can step in and say, you know what? You can have new today. You don't have to wait until heaven one day. The new is here now as you make a decision for Christ. I'm so thankful that we've been made new in Christ instantly at the point of accepting Jesus as our Savior because Jesus has conquered death and, the hell, death and hell. He holds those keys today. And as our first fruits since he's conquered them, it's a pledge and a guarantee that we have as well. And I'm so thankful for that. Amen? Amen. By the way, as you're watching here today or as you're here in this house, you may be wondering if Jesus truly did rise again from the dead. I'm going to go back to God's word to give you some verification of that. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. This is Paul writing. He says, whatever, for whatever I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried. Oh, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But wait, after he rose again, he appeared to Peter. Okay, that's one. Then to the 12, do some math with me, that's 13, right? Or maybe 12, if you add Peter. And then after that, he appeared to more than how many? 500. 
of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. So what he was saying was, so you can check with them, because most of them are still alive. So check with them and see if what I'm saying is true. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last he appeared to me also as to the one abnormally born. <laughs> he, he, he's just, he was condescending himself on purpose because he felt so unworthy. He felt like he was the least of these. And that's what he was saying. But think about this, just for a second. Well over 500 people saw Jesus after he rose again. Now, you would think uh, that you would think, well, that there was a conspiracy theory. There's just a few handful of people, and they concocted this story that Jesus rose again, and they just somehow it just became truth. But, but I want you to think about this for just one second. There's not a conspiracy theory here that was crafted by a few crazy zealots, okay? Too many people saw Jesus after he was alive, well over 500, documented. So surely you would think out of 500 people, one or two would eventually stepped up and been the whistleblower and said, hey, all this stuff is just a bunch of crazy nonsense. They're making this thing up. Let me tell you the truth of it. He's still in the tomb. But no one did, did they? Why? Because he's alive. Because they saw him with their own eyes because they heard them with their own ears, because they embraced them with their own arms. They saw Jesus. You cannot tell me that he's not alive because I saw him. I talked with him. I heard him. I had lunch with him. I fellowshiped with him. Folks, 500 plus eyewitnesses are proof enough for me that Jesus is alive. If you have any other argument, try to get around that one. Jesus is alive, amen? Here's the fact. This has been well documented. Let's put this one to rest. The facts are undisputable that Jesus is alive and well. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 20 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So think about it. If we served a Savior who was still on the ground, we're gathering here. Why? Why are we even here today? It says... Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ, they're all lost as well. If only for this life that we have hope in Christ, we are a people most to be pitied. But, ah, I like that word, but. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, people may look at us and say, listen, you guys are a bunch of crazy people. You're serving Jesus who's dead or he's a has-been, or he's a whatever, you know, whatever they want to call him. Here's the fact. I choose to hold on to my faith in Jesus. How about you? I choose to, I choose to be the winner on the other side. I, I, and I want to encourage you today, hold on to your faith in Jesus, because I promise you that you and I will bear out eventually to be the winners to be the ones that are rewarded, to be the ones that are the blessed, to be the ones who can say to the others, not in a very hateful way, not in a condescending way, but we can say to them, I told you so. I mean, I tried to tell you. I told you so. Jesus is the Savior. This was going to happen. I told you so. So let me encourage you today, if you're listening here today, <clears throat> wherever you are, don't be one of those people that hears someone tell you, I told you so. Don't let someone come up to you one day and say, I told you so. How about let's make this decision and let's choose Christ on this side of the equation. And let's be 
the body of Christ. Let's be the believers in Christ. Let's have a relationship with Jesus now, today, on this side of the rapture, on this side of the tribulation, on this side of the ground even. <laughs> Let's serve Christ today. And when you do, when you make that decision for him, you can experience the second thing that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And that is he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when Jesus right before he ascended to heaven had spent 40 days with these well over 500 people. He said to these people, you're going to receive power. I want you to stay right here. I want you to stay right here. Don't go anywhere because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm so thankful this morning that Jesus didn't just leave us to fend for ourselves, right? Think about it. I'm saved, and then I'm just going to tough this thing out and try to figure it out on my own strength. No. He's given us his word. Thank God for that. But he's also given us his Holy Spirit, who's the author of the word. And his spirit lives in you and me today. His Holy Spirit is in us. His Holy Spirit is with us. His Holy Spirit is working through us. We are not alone. He is with us today, empowering us and equipping us. And he's comforting us. And he's guiding us. And he's ministering to us. And he's making us more like Jesus. And all that we say and all that we do and all that we think. We're not alone. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. He ascended. Because on the earth, he can only be at one place at one time. But when he ascended, he said, I'm going to send my spirit. And his spirit can be in all places at all times. Very smart move on his part. Very strategic. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus living in you today. Say, I have the spirit of Christ in me. Say it. I have the spirit of Christ in me. Because, because, because of this, because the spirit of Christ is in you, because of the promise of the Holy Spirit in us, we're then now his ambassadors to a lost and dying world. I want you to look at your hands for just a second. Are those your hands? No, they're the hands of Christ. I want you to look at your feet for a second. Are those your feet? No, those are the feet of Christ. I want you to understand that the love and the hope and the salvation and the good news, all of those things that are in us are really Christ in us. And he's so wanting, so longing to pour out his love and his hope and his forgiveness and his life. And it's good news to others that we know all around us. Because we're his ambassadors. We're his representatives to the world. Because the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you as a believer. Think about that. Jesus is inside of you. And so again, are we owning our bodies? No. We don't even own our bodies. We don't own anything. And when we've given him our lives, we've given him our bodies too. And so now he's living in us. And then we say, Lord, here's my tongue. Help me to speak words of hope and love. Here's my hands. Help me to embrace and, you know, and love on people. Here's, here's all that I am. Use me as you will. My talents, my treasure, my time, my possessions, everything. It's all yours. The swift and complete rescue from slavery that we talked about last week, from sin. And that we've experienced in our own lives can be realized in lives around us. Think about it. How many is thankful that you've been rescued from the slavery of sin? Amen? How many also knows people that need to be rescued from the slavery of sin? Amen? Yeah. Aren't you thankful that you're free and rescued? 
God, help us to take that same experience that we've had. We're so free. We're so joyful. We're so thankful. And let's dare not keep it to ourselves, but let's share with others so that we can take that key and unlock those chains that abound them and they can be free as well. Because folks, Jesus is coming back very, very soon. Very, very soon. The Holy Spirit in us, I believe, bears witness to that fact. Amen. Romans 8, 23, here's that word again. Listen, we ourselves who have the, what? First fruits of the Holy Spirit. There it is again. Again, as people are reading this, as the believers, which are really Jews, converted Jews, they're reading this and they're saying, oh, there's that word first fruits again. So this is what it is. So we got, we got the first fruits of the Holy Spirit here. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about getting to heaven. He's talking about that one day when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. Doesn't your spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you, does that connect with you that, that it groans? As you see all this going on in the world today, as you realize all that's happening and you realize, oh, Holy Spirit, I know you're grieved by this. And, and, and I, I so, I, I, this world is not my home. I so long to be, you know, with Jesus. And so your spirit is groaning inside of you as you eagerly await the adoption. Because as the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying it's going it's to, you're going to realize it in its fullness one day. But right now we're just kind of getting that first fruits of it, that sense of, oh, one day I know. And I, I press on towards that mark because of it. I long for you. I hunger and thirst for you. Is that sense of just leaning into to the things of Jesus and to the things of, of his kingdom. Which brings me to this third prophetic significance of the Feast of First Fruits for us today. And that is the promise of a new creation. This world, as I said, is not our home. Jesus is coming back for us and he's preparing a place for us. James 1.18 says this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of what? First fruits of all that he's created. There's that word again. First fruits of all that he's created. You see, God's plan through us is that we would live out before others God's kingdom dynamics and to be the first fruits of all that is going on in heaven right now. Think about it. What is going on in heaven today at this very moment? Is there chaos going on in heaven? Is there political agendas going on in heaven? Is there hatred going on in heaven? Is there wars and death and sickness going on in heaven? Are any of those things going? Is there divorce in heaven? Is there, is there hatred in heaven? Is there anything like that in heaven? The answer is no. You think, oh, I can't wait. And so again, you think, oh, my spirit just groans. I long for that. But you see, what God is calling us to do as believers in Christ is that we're to take God's kingdom and bring it to the earth and be representatives of that that is going on in his kingdom right now to those around us. You see, God's plan is for us to be the first fruits of that. Now, there's so much that, to do with this that I could really do an entire sermon series on it, but it suffice to say that this morning, that as we've been given new and resurrected lives, as we're saved and cleansed from our sins, as Jesus is living inside of us, as we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, His Spirit, we also have the opportunity to let the things of God's kingdom be what I would like to call advertised or coming attractions to those around us of what God's kingdom will be. So right now, I ask you, 
is what you're saying and doing to those around you a true advertisement of the coming attractions of what heaven is going to be like? I would venture to say that as you look around today in our lives, we don't see too much love and forgiveness in the world today. Would you agree with me? So wouldn't we greatly stand out if we made the intentional determination and yielded our hearts to say, God, would you love through me and would you forgive through me as God's word instructs to those around me? You'd, you'd stick out like a sore thumb in a good way. People would look at you and say, well, that's different. Because if it were me, I would let them have it, you know? I would hate them until, and, and let them have it on social media. I would do everything I can, right? A lot of nasty stuff. Love and forgiveness, though, is what's going on in God's kingdom right now. And what we're going to experience for all of eternity one day. But how about let's have a coming attraction and let's do that here to those around us, Right? You know, there's so many attributes of being an ambassador of God's kingdom. When I say we're an ambassador, I've said that many times this morning. I'll say it again. You're an ambassador of God's kingdom. That means you're a representative. We know what ambassadors are to those that are ambassadors in other countries from the United States, right? They go to these different countries and they represent uh, the United States of America. And they, they try to bring whatever agendas are good or whatever into those particular countries uh, that, that are part of the United States. Well, we're ambassadors of God's heavenly kingdom. Again, this world's not our home, but we're here, aren't we? So what does God's kingdom look like again? Well, here's a list here I want to focus on. And by the way, I'm still spending and I will continue to spend the rest of my life trying to perfect these. But it's a very familiar passage for us that we tend to kind of gloss over Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 23 but the fruit of the spirit in other words the fruit of the spirit of Christ in you Jesus in you who's living in you that fruit that proceed the first fruit the the waving of the <laughs> of the fruit before people that fruit is love it's joy it's peace it's forbearance, which is also known as long-suffering. It's, it's kindness. It's, it's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. And it's self-control. Those nine right there. And we think, wow, boy, I love that list. Yeah, I know that list. I've, I've read that before. I've been told that many times. I look at that list of those nine things and I think, I'm not doing any of them well. I could do a lot better in all nine of those areas. How about you? If I'm going to be a representative of those nine things which are going on in God's kingdom right now, how am I doing with that? How, how are we all doing with, with that? You know, most of us spend our entire lives simply trying to come even close to perfecting this list. But they are the fruits, dare I say the first fruits, of the Spirit of Christ and of the church, uh, and the church and the world around us is sorely lacking in them, I believe, and desperately needs them. So maybe we can ask the Holy Spirit that sent us the Spirit of Christ to help us today to be the first fruits of the kingdom of God to come. Think about it again, the first fruits. Maybe someone has never seen really kindness given to them or forgiveness or 
long-suffering or gentleness or self-control. Maybe, maybe they've never experienced that and you're the first time that someone's really genuinely been that way to them. Wouldn't that be the first fruits in their life, right? You've just been battered and hammered in their lives and they're just walking through just with so much anger and hatred and despair and then, you know, hurt people hurt people so then they lash out the same way that maybe we're modeling for them the spirit of Christ and we become the first fruits in their life of what they can experience for the rest of eternity if we just are patient and we're long-suffering and we're consistent and we love on them with these fruits of the Spirit. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, you know? I mean, preach all day long what God's Word says, but if you're not acting it out, if you're not modeling it for them, then you're being a hypocrite. It's just words. People see hypocrites all around them, but in God's kingdom, there should be no such hypocrites. In the kingdom of God, are there hypocrites? No. You know, it's easy to be mean to people who are mean to us. But when's the last time that you turned the other cheek or was kind to those who weren't kind to you? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, kindness or goodness. When's the last time you were good to someone who wasn't good to you? When's the last time you were gentle to someone who wasn't gentle to you? When's the last time that you were self-controlled to someone who wasn't self-controlled to you? And again, all nine of those, I need to work on them. And if I'm the only one, then I guess I'll be at the altar here this morning repenting. But I think we all can say amen to that. We all need to work on it. As Paul would say, I'm the chief of all sinners, I believe, when it comes to many of these things on this list. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, right? Well, that's just who I am. Don't cop out. Stop. Let's, let's try. Let, let's change. Let, let's let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do in us and through us so that we can be the first fruits of, to those around us of of what the kingdom of God is, what's happening right now there. I know that the Holy Spirit can help us to grow up to be all, all things that are Christ Jesus, not all things that are Brian Keith, not all things that are whatever the world says I need to be. And we can become the first fruits around us of what will be in heaven eternally. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out a challenge to myself and I, and I ask that you would join me today by giving the Holy Spirit the reins of your emotions, of your thoughts, of your actions, as he works out of us the nasty stuff and into us the good stuff, <laughs> that we might do those good works that he's prepared for us in advance to do. Do you realize that God has got some good works prepared for you in advance to do? He's got a list of things for you to do. How do you know that? Well, Ephesians 2.10 says so. He says, for we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He made you, and he says, I got a list of things that I want you to do. I got a list of good works that I need you to do. And many of us, I believe, still got a long way to go on that list. How about it? Maybe many of us are doing well with it. I don't know. But those good works, those things that God has assigned for us, oh, Holy Spirit, please help us to be more focused on that list and on your kingdom than on anything that the world says that I should do. Anything that my flesh says that I should do. Anything that Satan tempts me to do. I don't want any of that. I want the things of your kingdom. And I want to do those good works that you have assigned for me. And I hope that you'll do those good works. Because if you don't do them, maybe you're the only one assigned to do it and it won't get done. How do you like that for pressure, huh? How do you like that for responsibility? He's assigned a good work for you to do. And if you don't do it, maybe it'll never get done. So, Lord, what are those good works that I need to do? God, help us to do those good works. I don't want to miss out on any of them. How about you? For he has us to do these things by acting out 
uh, in ways that are pleasing to Christ, not in ways that are less than God's best example. So where do we go with this today? Our personal application to this particular feast. The morning that Jesus rose again on Easter Sunday, there was an angel that appeared to some ladies that were at the tomb. And he said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 and 6, to these ladies, don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. So come and see the place where he used to lay, where he was. He's not there anymore. Let me remind you today that we serve a risen Savior. It's been well documented, and it's indisputable. He's the first fruits of your resurrection and my resurrection. He's the, he's the first from our slavery to sin and then finally to an eternity in heaven. But our freedom and forgiveness of sin until we get to heaven, we've got a lot of stuff to do, don't we? We, we dare not just sit around and look up at the sky waiting for Jesus to come back. We, we dare not just curse the darkness around us and just hope for the best. We dare not just coast along and not make any waves. Folks, it's time for the body of Christ to make some waves in this world, to make a difference. There's good news to be shared. There's a light to be shined in the darkness. There's a salt that is in need of preserving a rottenness and a decay that's all around us. I want you to listen to me this morning, church. This feast of first fruits illustrates how we need to acknowledge God as our absolute source for everything in life. He owns everything and he provides everything. He's the supreme owner and the provider of all things. And since this is true, just as the Israelites acknowledged that by giving this offering that reflected their best, we should also give the best of who we are and what we have to honor our God and Savior. So I ask you, how are you doing with this today? Do you consistently give God your best. I don't need to go down a list of what that looks like. In fact, I think we all know where we are shirking, where we're skimping, where we're doing things half-heartedly, where we're giving Jesus our leftovers, our second choices, our rejects. In fact, I would say this, that whatever it is that you just said in your mind, I hope the pastor doesn't mention blank, is the very thing probably need to give your God the best in. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, because I mentioned nothing, I actually mentioned everything just then because the Holy Spirit is convicting you, drawing you in, knocking on the door of your heart and saying, this is what you need to work on. I don't need to say it because the Holy Spirit has already said it in your heart just a few moments ago. So my prayer is that God would help us in every area of our lives and that we would take inventory and invite the Holy Spirit to show us and convict us of those things that we've not given God our first fruits, our very best. We would repent of those things and that we would instead give him our very best every day at all times and in every way. Think about this. God gave us his very best. Amen. It's only right and honorable that we give him back our very best. Yeah. There's a Christian author by the name of Warren Wiersbe, and I close with this, and he said it this way. In the feast of first fruits, God is saying to us, 
bring me the best. Bring me the first of everything. I must get first place in your life. Are you giving him the first fruits or do you give him the leftovers? How many people there are who burn the candle of their lives and then blow the smoke in God's face? How many there are who use their money, time, energy, and resources for their own selfish pleasure, and then if there's something left over, they give it to the Lord? This is not what first fruits is saying to us. This feast declares God gets the first. He gets the best. Put him first, and then he will bless you. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you today for the blessings that you've given us. We thank you that we can be here today, that we can worship you in a free country without having to look over our shoulders and feel like that someone's going to come in and arrest us or harm us in any way. We live in a free country where we can worship you. We're grateful for that. You've given us blessings, clothes on our back, food on our stomach, a car to drive, a roof over our head, a job to go to. You've provided for our needs. Thank you for that. Lord, you've given us air to breathe. You've given us talents and abilities. You've given us time. All of us have the same amount, 24 hours in a day. You've given us so many things that we are responsible to steward. And, and Father, as we stand here today, we first off hearken back to that just a moment ago, Holy Spirit, that you convicted us of, you, you reminded us of, you, you brought it to our remembrance again and said, this is really something that you've been wrestling with. And today is another opportunity for you to give it to me and to repent of it and allow the Spirit of Christ that's in you to transform you so that you can be more kind, more generous, more uh, forgiving, more available, more representative of Christ to those around you. Lord, that, that's what we want, really. We struggle with this. We, we do. Our, our flesh messes up so many times. We lose our temper. We get selfish. We we get indifferent, we, huh, so many things. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive us. You, you reminded us, Holy Spirit, of what it is, and that's what we repent of today. But Lord, may we not just repent of it and then take it back up and walk, walk out of here with it and still keep doing it. That's not true repentance. Instead, Lord, help us to lay it at your feet and to say, we give this to you. And, and as we lay it at your feet, now, Holy Spirit, won't you come and make that spot that's now uh, void and empty of that thing that wasn't pleasing to you, make it something that is pleasing to you. Put in the, the character qualities and the attributes of Jesus Christ in that area that was once just a moment ago not pleasing to you, not honoring you, not a great representation of you, but now potentially can be as we yield to you that area. It's a muscle that we need to exercise. It's something, Holy Spirit, that we need you to remind us of on a regular basis because it's going to want to come back and visit us and say, hey, that's how I've always been, so let's just keep being that way. But today, we draw a line in the sand. 
Let today be a day on October 31st, 2021, where we say, I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be unforgiving. I don't want to be unkind. I don't want to be impatient. I need the fruit of the Spirit to really rise up in me, the Spirit of Christ, and to really let that needle move from flesh to spirit. Oh, big time in, every, in, in all the areas that I need to work on. And Father, as we do, we're going to start seeing people like you see them. And uh, we're going to start loving them like you love them. And we're going to start treating them like you would have them be treated. And then also, Lord, that we won't give you our leftovers, our second best, our broken pieces. Lord, that, that we wouldn't look at it and say, well, I, I'm either going to give it to the church or to goodwill because I sure don't want it. Instead, Lord God, let it be not the junk, but let us give you the first thing. You gave us your best. Lord, we want to give you our best. Forgive us for, for seeing what we have left over and then we give you what that is. Time, talent, treasure. Instead, Lord, help us to, in our time, talent, and treasure, give you our best, our first. Lord, you own everything. It all belongs to you. So all this that we have in our care, time, talent, and treasure, we're simply stewards of. And we ask you, to help us to steward it well for your glory. We thank you for not only salvation, Jesus, you're alive and well, and you're living in us, but we also thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us in our weakness. And we thank you that one day we will have eternal life, but your kingdom that is there now needs to come down in us and through us to others. Let that happen in small but very noticeable ways from this moment on in our lives. We repent. We repent today. Forgive us, Jesus. And let the first fruits feast be significant to us. And that in every area of our lives, we give you our first fruits of what you've blessed us with. We love you. We love you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen.